This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I finally begin something that I've been talking about for months now. And it actually is the topic that I thought that I would begin with over a year ago when I started this podcast. A discussion of the covenants between God and man. This has been a very, very important topic for me, and I'm glad I'm finally getting to share it with you. And I hope that it's as helpful to you as it has been to me. But before I get into that, I'd like to make a few comments about some other things that have come up. I was talking with one of our listeners, and she shared with me something that came up after she listened to the talk that Glenn Cole and I had about false dichotomies. She said that that episode had helped her to think more deeply and listen carefully to what people are saying and not just accept things as they're given, but really to consider seriously things that people say. And she heard a teacher, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but this Bible teacher, Christian lady, I believe was saying something about God's blessings or something like that. And in the middle of what she was saying, she said this phrase, you deserve to be rich. I believe that's what this teacher said. You deserve to be rich. And the speaker continued on with her thoughts, but the listener who I was talking to, she thought, well, that's not right. And we shouldn't just let that go by without really thinking about it and judging it. Well, of course, we don't deserve to be rich. That is a very secular idea, very worldly idea. It reminds me of the scriptures that say there are going to be times when people gather around them, teachers who say what they want to hear. Boy, that's common, so very common. So that's a good lesson for all of us to judge carefully what is said to listen closely and think deeply about the kinds of things that people say, and to judge everything according to the Word of God, the revealed will of God, and to submit ourselves not to these teachers who say things that are pleasant, but to submit ourselves to the Lord. Another thing that I need to say before I get into the discussion about covenants is that much of what I'm going to say over the next several episodes as we talk about covenants is drawn from the teachings of David Pawson in very much the same way as I drew from his teachings when I discussed the prophetic gift. And as I said then, I'll say it again now, I'm in some ways what he called an impossinator. (laughs) He said it with some humor, but I am just going to share his teaching. So I've heard another man, a friend of mine, called it re-teaching, that when he travels over to Africa, he just does some re-teaching. So that's sort of what I'm doing right now. I'm following the outline of David Pawson and the way that he has analyzed the different covenants and the questions that he asks about each covenant and how to answer those questions. It's very helpful to me, and I think it'll be helpful to you as well. I started studying the biblical covenants because I wanted to know what they are and how they apply to me or which covenants apply to me. I had heard other people talk about covenants, other teachers speaking about the different covenants, but it wasn't clear to me what God says about covenants. I didn't really even know which ones are covenants. I really had a question deep inside that had lingered for years. What is it about covenants? I keep hearing that word, but what are they? The old covenant, 
Of course, Jesus mentions the new covenant, the law. How does the law relate to the covenants? And things like that. I had lots of questions. So I started seeking out good teaching and looking in the scriptures. And now I realize that this topic is perhaps one of the most important topics that a Christian can understand. And you'll find out why I think that as we go through this. I imagine that this will take two or three or four, perhaps, episodes. Today, I'll do an introduction about covenants, and then in future episodes, we'll look at the five covenants that are in the scriptures and how they relate to one another and how they relate to us as followers of Jesus. And that'll take a little while. Now, there are many differences of opinion in the church and many differences of convictions in the church. People can hold some views very, very strongly. And some of these opinions and convictions relate to specific questions. Should Christians tithe? Should we keep Sunday as a special day? Should babies be baptized? Why do some churches have altars and vestments and priests? And why do some churches not have those things? And these are questions that have divided the church over generations, and there are lots of different views about these questions. Tithing, the Sabbath, baptism, the role of the clergy. Should we take these questions seriously or lightly? Well, earlier generations took all these questions very seriously, but now they're more regarded as a matter of taste or preference within the churches. I remember when I was a kid, there was a pretty stark line between the Baptists and the Methodists over doctrinal issues. And now people move back and forth between the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church and the Church of England. And all these differences claim to be based on the Bible. But why do we come to so many different opinions about what the Bible says and what we are to do? People who teach on tithing or on the Sabbath, Sunday being a Sabbath, or Child baptism claimed to be based on the Bible, but how do they come to those things? And the answer is really in this one word, covenant. And I believe that this is one of the most important words in the Bible, and there's not enough teaching about it, and so I'm glad to take this time right now to share with you. But why is the word covenant so important? Why is the idea of covenants, why are covenants so important? And this is because the covenants tell us how God relates to mankind. That's what the biblical covenants do. They reveal to us how God takes the initiative in his relationship with human beings, with his creation. Now, other religions agree in many ways with Christianity about how man should relate to man, how human beings relate to other human beings on the horizontal level. Uh, That's why many world religions and philosophies have something similar to the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's talking about the horizontal relationship between people. And it makes sense that world religions and philosophies would agree on things like that don't murder, don't steal, because we are made in the image of God. And within us is this stamp of God's character and a knowledge of his truth, even if 
people don't know the one true God still within us as his creation, we understand that you don't lie to people, you don't kill people, you don't steal, you do to others as you would have them do to you, that that's good. But that's all on the horizontal level. But how should man relate to God? And this is where Christianity is different from other religions and other philosophies. How does God relate to man? The covenants tell us how God wants to relate to us. These covenants come from Yahweh, Jehovah. The covenants come from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and our God as well. Well, when I started my study of covenants, I had a couple of main questions. The first question, how many covenants are there in the Bible? I really didn't know. And I also ran into people who were saying different numbers. Some people may say that there's one overarching covenant, the covenant of grace. Some people say there are two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. Some people say there are three or five or even seven. And this difference of understanding, this difference of opinion, is behind many of the differences among Christians today. So that was my first question. How many covenants are there? One, two, three, five, seven? And the second question, how many covenants apply to Christians today? Which covenants apply to me as a Christian, a Gentile Christian? Those are two very important questions. How many covenants are there and how do they apply to me? And the answer to these questions is in the Scripture, and it's pretty clear in the Scriptures. And yet people have disagreements or different views or they emphasize different things. So that is the purpose of these talks, to go through answering these questions. How many covenants are there and how do they relate to one another and how do they relate to the followers of Jesus? And the first step first important step, is to define the terms. And there are generally two kinds of a bond or agreement that will bind two parties together in mutual obligations. And these will be familiar to you. There are contracts and there are covenants. And there is a difference between a contract and a covenant. And people often confuse these things, and they should not be confused because there are very distinct and very important differences between contracts and covenants. Contracts are bilateral, meaning that you have two parties involved, and those contracts involve negotiation between two parties, or sometimes more than two parties. And in a contract, as you negotiate the terms, if either side breaks the terms of the contract, then the other side is released from the contract. A contract can be broken by one side or the other, and it involves negotiation. It's bilateral. So an example, let's say that I want to have a house built, but I don't have the skills or the tools to build a house or the time, but I do have the money to build a house. Well, then I find someone who has the skills and the time and the ability to build a house but doesn't have the money. And so we negotiate. I will pay you this much for you to build a house, 
And in return for this money, this is the kind of house that you'll build for me and the amount of time it'll take. And you negotiate that. The other side would agree to do the work depending on terms of the contract. And those issues, those different points in a contract are negotiated. And either side can break that contract. If I didn't pay, then the other side would stop building the house. And if the other side stopped building the house, then I wouldn't pay. And both sides can make demands of the other. So that's what a contract is. A contract is bilateral, and it involves negotiation between parties. If I do certain things, then the other side will do things for me. And people can try to apply that to God. If I do certain things for God, then he will do certain things for me. For instance... Uh, somebody who's on a battlefield, a soldier who says, God, if you save me, I promise I'll go to, go to church the rest of my life. Well, that's trying to negotiate with God. If I do this for you, then you promise to do this for me. We can't deal with God this way for the simple reason that there's nothing that we have that he needs. We can't enter into a contract with God. We can't bargain with him or negotiate with him because there's nothing really that he wants from us. We have no power over him. Everything that we have comes from him. Everything we have, he already has. So we don't really negotiate with him. That's not the way God wants to interact with human beings. God is a God of covenants, not of contracts. So what is the difference then? Well, a covenant, as I've said, is not a contract. A covenant is not bilateral. It is unilateral. A covenant is a one-sided bond. Covenants do not involve negotiation. A covenant is made by one party toward the other based on a promise to do something for the other party. There aren't any negotiations. One party decides the terms, and the terms cannot be altered. And the other party either accepts or rejects the terms of a covenant. And the party that offers the covenant has all the power and all the authority within the relationship. God doesn't make contracts. He doesn't bargain. We can either accept or reject God's covenants because he has all the power and all the authority. There are no negotiations. One party decides the terms and the terms can't be altered. Well, here's a question then. Is marriage a covenant or a contract? Depending on how you answer that question, that will determine a lot about how you relate to your spouse. Is marriage a covenant or a contract? Well, God calls it a covenant. In Malachi chapter 2, he calls it the covenant of your marriage. Traditionally, a man would offer marriage to a woman, and he would present this covenant, and the woman would either accept or reject the terms of that covenant, the terms of the marriage. Well, nowadays, in Western culture in particular, it's really a double covenant. Each side makes a covenant with the other. And this is why marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. It's not a contract where if one side does what we expect them, then we will keep doing what we expect. But if they break their side, then we break our side. Marriage isn't 50-50. Marriage is 100. And it doesn't matter what the other side does. Regardless of how my wife acts, I still have made a covenant with her, and I'm 100% committed to that covenant. 
Now, there's something, it's a little bit confusing uh, in English language, but in other languages it's very clear that the word covenant is the same as the word testament. For instance, in the Russian Bible, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the word there is covenant, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the two parts of our Bibles, what in English we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. That word testament means covenant, uh, which leads to a very interesting and a little bit confusing situation that the Old Testament writings are not the Old Testament. That sounds confusing, but these Old Covenant, what we call the Old Covenant writings, contain the Old Covenant, but also other covenants. And the New Testament writings are not the New Covenant. They're not the New Testament. They contain the New Testament within them. I don't know who came up with those names, but they're not particularly helpful, actually, because the truth is much more complex than just saying the Old Testament writings are the Old Covenant and the New Testament writings are the New Covenant. Humans, by example, often make a last will and testament, or if you want to say the last will and covenant. In a last will and testament, the terms are set, and there is no negotiation. And we should look at those words, too, the last will and testament. When a person is planning for their death, they will create this document, and they lay out their final will, the expression of their will. This is what I am doing. This is my will. And it's a covenant because there are no negotiations. When my mother passed away, she left behind a last will and testament. And I couldn't negotiate with my mother the terms that she had written down years before. I either accepted or rejected the covenant that she was making. And just as the human last will and testament come into effect with the death of the person who makes that will and testament, when Jesus died, the new covenant was fixed. His death sealed up his covenant. And I'd like to read here from Hebrews chapter 9 to make this point about covenants and how covenants come into effect with the death of the person who's making that covenant. Starting in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood, of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Well, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. 
In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is only in force when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. This is the Mosaic Law, as we'll see it's the Old Covenant. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. And he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So here we see in the book of Hebrews something that we understand in modern times, that a a covenant or a testament or a will only comes into effect when the person who made that will has died. And this is true for us as we enter into the new covenant. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the future. The God that we worship is a God who makes covenants with people. Now, isn't that remarkable? That the creator of all that is, our creator, wants to make a covenant with you. He's willing and he wants to make a covenant with his people. And God's covenants are one-sided. We can't renegotiate the terms. We are entirely free to accept or reject his covenants or even break his covenants. And there will always be a serious penalty if after accepting a covenant we break it. But he never breaks the terms of the covenants, ever. God never breaks the terms of his covenants. A covenant may be broken by one party, but it doesn't release the other side. And this is true of the covenants of God. So I return to this question. How many covenants are in the Bible? And this is important to understand as we move ahead into the study of the covenants. And the answer is five. Only five covenants are actually called a covenant in the Bible. Though other people believe there are as many as seven covenants. One example is people will talk about the Adamic covenant, the covenant with Adam. And yet the Bible never uses the word covenant when talking about how God treated Adam after the fall. It's not ever called a covenant, but there are five that are called covenants, and so we're going to focus on that. All five covenants are connected with people. The first covenant is connected with Noah, and it's called the Noahic covenant. The second covenant is connected with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their descendants, and that's called the Abrahamic covenant. The third covenant is connected with Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, and this is probably the best known. This was a covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. It's called the Law, and it's the only covenant that is called the Old Covenant. This is the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant. The fourth covenant is connected with King David, and that is the Davidic Covenant. Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, those four covenants are connected with those people, and they are all in the Old Testament. 
in the Hebrew writings, and they are all called covenants and all come into effect in the Old Testament. Covenants made with Noah, Abraham and his descendants, Moses, King David. I'll say it again. These are all found in the Old Testament. They are all called covenants, and they all come into effect in the Old Testament. The fifth covenant is related to the Messiah, and it's called the Messianic Covenant. And it is introduced in the Old Testament, and we'll look at that. The Messianic Covenant is foretold in the Old Testament writings, particularly in Jeremiah chapter 31, but it comes into force in the New Testament, and this is called the New Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is called the Old Covenant, and the Messianic Covenant, which is mentioned and introduced in the Old Testament, comes into force in the New Testament. And this is the new covenant. The second question, how many of these covenants concern us? Which of these apply to us as Gentile Christians today? It's very important to me. How many of these five must I live by? It's a very personal question. And for you, how many of these covenants, the Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, Messianic, which of those apply to you? How many of those do you need to live by? How many of those concern you and me? Well, that's what we'll be looking at over the next two or three talks. And I hope that you begin to see why this is such an important question. Because if we answer this question incorrectly, then we won't be living in the way that the Lord really wants us to live, according to his revealed will, how he relates to us. These are very important questions, and this is what we'll talk about in upcoming episodes. We'll discuss each of these covenants in depth, and then we'll answer these questions. How many of these concern us? Which of these apply to us as Gentile Christians today? How many of these covenants must I live by? And how many of these covenants concern us as followers of Jesus? And so, until next time, my friends... I pray that the Lord will continue to reveal to you his will and his ways because his pathways are always good. They're always good. Even if they're difficult, they're good. And they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.